0: to Today's sermon is pre-recorded. In Matthew, the 25th chapter, we find the story of the ten virgins, five wise and five foolish. In that day, at the evening star's coming, the bridegroom would make his way to the bride's house. And just prior to his arrival at the bride's house would be the bridesmaids with lamps waiting to escort him to the bride's house where he would take some refreshment. The bride would say goodbye to her parents and then he in procession with the bridesmaids would make their way back to his father's house where there would be an incredible party that would last for seven or more days. Usually, in that culture, in that day, the bridesmaids were numbered 10. They believed that it took 10 witnesses. And so we see this wedding party playing out before us, how many times have you seen a wedding party go by? They're honking the horns, the tin cans are dragging behind right? The car's been all smeared up. I know I've helped smear up a lot of cars, haven't you?
1: Yes.
0: And off they go, and and we honk our horns as they go by and we wave at them and we're all happy because there's a wedding happening. And then we go on about our business. Not my wedding. No friend of mine's getting married. I'm not involved in this wedding. Tonight, theaters are full. Restaurants are full. They're totally unaware that the bridesmaids are even meeting. They could care. It doesn't matter to them. It has no relevance to their lives. They have many other things that they are interested in doing, and they're about doing them. So this story of the ten virgins is a description of how it's going to be in the kingdom of heaven at the end of time. There will be many people at the end of time who are going to the restaurant or going to the club Or sitting home watching television. They will have no interest in being a bridesmaid. They have their own affairs and they're busy about it. And so the scripture tells us, even as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the coming of the son of man. So many people, when Jesus comes, will be unconcerned about the fact that the Messiah, the king of all the universe, is going to show up and that judgment is going to happen. Because they don't think judgment will ever take place. I mean, I'm reading in the news accounts that say that America will soon be considered in the world a third world power. That poverty will become grinding in America. That people will go hungry in America. And I hear those things and a part of me says, who are you kidding? Things are going to go on like they've always gone on. America is not going to crash with its finances. This is just another one of those tough times. We're going to make it through and everything's going to be okay. Because in our hearts, we believe That things are going to continue as they have always continued and that I have time to do whatever it is I want to do. And so FEMA right now is saying, put away a minimum of two weeks of food in your house. Put away a minimum of two weeks of water in your house. This is the government agency, FEMA, saying this. Other government agencies are saying, put away 30 days of food and water in your house. And we're saying, what? I can barely put next week's food in the house. What do you mean put 30 days food away? I don't even have room in my cupboard to hold it. Why would I do this? There's going to be no need for it. Because in our minds, it's hard for us to begin to comprehend that things are going to finally come to a change point and nothing will be the same again. Well, with this parable. Many people are maybe even waving at the party as they go by, stopping by and chatting with the bridesmaids. How long do you think it'll be before the bridegroom comes? Maybe he's going to stand up the bride. I'm sure there's jokes and and laughter especially when the bridegroom is delayed. He's supposed to show at the first star, the evening star. The evening star came and he didn't show. They continue to wait. They have to wait until midnight. He's a good three or four hours late. I'm sure they were the butt of many jokes. But the bridegrooms are there. And it says that five of them were foolish. And the word foolish translated in the Greek literally means careless does not make necessary preparation thinks yet unnecessary foolish then there were five wise a wise the word is literally translated prudent a person who makes arrangements ahead of time to take care of what is necessary so we have half of the bridesmaids who make no preparation and half who make preparation. So we could split it right down the middle. Which side would you be on? The five foolish or the five wise? And it caused me to begin to back up and say, okay, what preparation am I making and how do I begin to make that preparation? for the judgment day that is coming. You see, the context of this parable is Matthew 24, which is the description that Jesus gives of the end time events. His disciples have asked, when is this going to all happen? What is going to be the sign of your coming? So this is in the context of the last day. Finally, at at the hour passing... They all get sleepy. And they all doze off. And you know what? There's no indication in, in Scripture that that was a sin. It's not a sin to doze off while you're waiting for somebody. The question is, have you made the preparation necessary to meet with the bridegroom? And yes, after you've made that preparation, you may enter more deeply into rest. The problem is when you enter into the rest and you've made no preparation. Now I've, in my background, been taught that the oil represented by the lamp was the Holy Spirit. But I was curious to see what some other great men of God believed. John Wesley believed that the oil was faith working by love. Adam Clark, the great commentator of Scripture, believes that this is faith working by love. So let's look at it, if you would, in that context now. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. This is Matthew 25, verse seven. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. So if we take Wesley's understanding of this scripture, that that oil in the lamp is faith working by love, That means that five of the foolish virgins had only a public pretense of religion. They had a sentimental attachment to the marriage. There was a part of the wedding that captured their interest enough that they didn't go to the theater that night, but instead dressed in nice clothing and said, I'll go along. but there was no faith working by love in their heart so that raises the question of what is faith what is faith and if you go to hebrews the 11th chapter Verse 1, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. What were they commended for? They were commended for taking actions that were based on a belief that what they thought would happen, they knew it would happen based on God's word to them And so they took that action because God said to take it. And they believed that what God had said was going to take place. So these five wise virgins had purchased this faith. How do you purchase faith? You purchase faith by stepping out in obedience and risking everything on the word of God. And you do that enough times until finally your confidence is growing and you know there is a resolve in your heart that you know that what God has said is true and you can trust it. The five foolish, on the other hand, had never tested God to see whether his word was true or not. They had never risked themselves to obey God regardless of the price. They had always said, let's take the easy way out. When I see it, I'll believe it. So they had never been willing to risk themselves. So anger rises up in your heart. Will you take a faith stand that Almighty God has the power by the blood to break that anger from your heart and you are going to claim by faith that that anger is dealt with and that it will no longer rise in your heart and then you're going to step out on that and say, "Okay, Lord, no matter what happens, I'm going to lift my hands up to you and surrender instead of getting angry and trying to manage it myself. Faith is built as we step out in obedience, regardless of what the costs might be to us personally. And we say, "Okay, I'm going to put my weight down on what God has said. And if I sink, I sink. If I made a fool of, I made a fool of. I'm not going to back off what God has said to me." That's buying faith. That's buying oil. And what happens in this process is that a foundation is built in our inner soul that can withstand any tempest. This last week, there's a phone call from the secretary of this church. And she says, This is your last Wednesday night in the sanctuary. You're having to go back to Thursday night because the lady who requested this change has changed her mind and you're now being shifted back. Jan immediately with me began to cry out to the Lord. And I had another situation, another crisis in a family's life. That required me to get on the telephone. So I'm on the telephone dealing with that crisis and my heart is down in my shoes. And I'm saying, Lord, you told us to move to the sanctuary because you wanted us here when revival began to break out. I'm looking for revival any day. I'm looking for you now to begin to convict people of sin and to cause them to repent of that sin and begin to step out on your promises for righteousness and to trust you to rain down righteousness on their lives. I'm trusting you to do that. They cannot move us. In the name of Jesus, they can't move us. And I take a faith stand in the midst of that battle and My sweetheart, she's battling until she comes up to faith. Ten minutes later, the phone rings. It's the secretary from the Grace Lutheran Church, and she says, please forget we had that conversation. That was not a wise course of action for us to pursue. And the storm is over. It's like a wave comes crashing into our lives. We step out on the word of God and say, no, it is not going to happen. The Lord said we were going into the main sanctuary. We're going to be there. And the storm breaks. Well, those kinds of experiences time after time begin to build that resolve in your heart and you cannot be moved from the word of God. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter how they act. It doesn't matter what you see with your eyes. You know what God has said and you're going to stand on that. Though the heavens fall, you'll stand. That resolve is built into your heart so that when you see every catastrophic thing crashing around you, and it seems that God's word can't be fulfilled with absolute peace, you just say, I trust God. That great man of prayer, Mr. Mueller, had to make a transatlantic voyage on a freighter ship. They had no chairs, outdoor deck chairs, And he knew that he had to be out on the deck for the healing of his family's lungs, his and his wife's, he and his wife. And he told his whole party that a man would be coming with a deck chair for this voyage. They have no deck chair. So they've all boarded. They've gone up the gangplank. They're on the ship. It's getting ready to leave. The ropes are being thrown off. And one of his friends said to him, I guess you missed God on this one, didn't you? He said, no, I didn't miss God on this. It's coming. And the friend said, but look, we're leaving Mr. Mueller pointed out in the crowd that was seeing him off, and he said, there it comes. See it down there on that man's head? And a man was carrying it above his head through the crowd. It was taken on board ship. Even the smallest things are covered by God. On another occasion, he had a speaking engagement. He was aboard a ship. The fog rolled in and totally shut down visibility to zero. He was up with the captain and the captain said, we're going to have to stop, Mr. Mueller. We're not going to make it in time for you to, to speak. Mr. Mueller said, that's not going to be a problem. We're going to make it. He dropped to his knees and began to cry out to the Lord, will you take this fog out of here? He opened his eyes and the fog was clearing. And within minutes, it was totally gone. Well, if you begin to try to step out on those kinds of things in your life, nothing's going to happen, probably. And you're going to say, God doesn't listen to me. You haven't built a foundation in your life that allows you that kind of access and privilege to the Lord Jesus You haven't bought the oil yet. You haven't made the transaction yet. Mm -hmm. You haven't made the preparation so that when you're in that kind of a setting, you can take that kind of stand and know beyond doubt and not fear in your heart. It's going to be done. But as we step out time after time for our temper, for our lust, for our heartaches for our love for whoever as we stand by faith and we won't be moved and we just stand and we push against the promises of God and we meet the requirements of God. That resolve is built in our hearts and that confidence is built up in our hearts as we see God answer us time after time. There was a time when I would have to spend all night praying Crying out to God for provision for the next day. Today I barely pray at all for my provision. I don't need to spend a lot of time on my provision. When I need provision, I go to the Lord and I talk with him about it. And it's a done deal. I stand up from my prayer and I say, Lord, thank you. I know you've heard me. It's finished. Now, what's on your heart? God doesn't want me to spend a lot of time praying for my provision because he has other things he wants me to be talking with him about and entering into agreement with him about and loss that he wants me to be crying out for. He has other issues on his heart. But there was a time when the only issue on his heart was my personal finance. So much so that he told us, drive to New York City, to Pastor David Wilkerson's church and drive there. We had enough money to drive there and pay the tolls and no money to come home and no money for a hotel. So we arrive and we call ahead and we talk to his secretary and she says, oh, Pastor Ray, don't come this weekend. Pastor David can't see you this weekend. We say, okay, we're already at, right outside New York City getting ready to go through the bridge. <laughs> we look at each other and we say, what do we do? We don't have enough money to go home. God sent us to New York City to go to Times Square Church. Let's go. So on we went. We sat in the congregation. We just sat in the congregation and praised the Lord and said, The Lord is going to open the way. He sent us here. It's going to be quite a story in the newspaper about a pastor and his wife stuck in New York City. If that's what God wants to do, it's all right. We're going to trust God. Pretty soon security people come around to us and say, Pastor David wants to see you in the back. He says, I don't have time to see you this weekend. It's my wife's birthday. I have to leave. We say, That's all right. We don't mean to inconvenience you. Thank you. Thank you for just talking with us a bit. We're on our way. He says, No, come here. Reaches out his hand, and in his hand he has a wad of bills, and he says, Go get a hotel. Go get a hotel. See me tomorrow morning in my office. So we go and get a hotel. We're stretched out in this beautiful New York City hotel. His secretary called and made arrangements for what hotel we were to stay in. We're stretched out overlooking Times Square, in this beautiful hotel and we're saying, we couldn't pay for this. No way. We couldn't pay, we couldn't even pay to park the car. <laughs> we go out on the street like some big shots walking down the street in the theater crowd and we see a nice restaurant and we say, why don't we go in and have dinner? So in we go. We look at the menu. We say, we would better share one of these. But we had enough money to pay for it. God gave it to us. The next morning, we get up. We read our scriptures. We're praying. We're praising him. We've just stayed all night in a swank hotel, Times Square. We go to meet Pastor David. His secretary meets us instead of Pastor David. She shoves an envelope across the desk to us. In that desk, that envelope, there's $10,000 and $100 bills. And she said, Pastor David couldn't be here. But he said, this is your responsibility. Not his. Use it the way God tells you. And just then, Pastor David comes bursting into the office. Oh, I'm so glad you're still here. I couldn't leave and not see you all. I had to make sure you were taken care of. Now, this money belongs to God. You use it the way He tells you. I don't want to hear about it. And we leave. Blessed, prayed over. We take the money, we pay our way back, and all the rest we put in the briefcase and put in the trunk of our car. We're in a hotel, remember, back here in Woodbridge that we can't pay for. We don't spend the money. We leave it there. The Lord sends us on a trip to Ohio. We have enough money to go, not enough money to come home. We take care of the person we're supposed to take care of there, and we're given enough money to drive home. And on the way home, the transmission on the car goes out. And suddenly here we are, needing money to pay for a hotel because it's three days before they can get the transmission replaced. And the transmission cost was $2,300. The man said to me, Pastor, how do you want to pay for this? And he expected me to pull a credit card out. Instead, I reached in my pocket and pulled out an envelope and started counting out $100 bills. $2,300 to pay that thing. And his eyes get as big as saucers. (laughs) Pastor, where'd you get all that money? Jesus? Jesus? Do you recognize we did not have to spend one minute praying for the money for the transmission? It had been provided. Another intercession had taken care of a problem that was coming down the pike that we didn't even know about yet. Well, after you've walked through this enough times a a strength, a, a muscular strength begins to come into your soul and into your heart that says, I know that I know that I know I can trust my Lord and my Savior. He is faithful. Most recently we get word, just a few years ago, We have to move from the house we're in. We have 30 days. What are we going to do? The Lord won't let us go look for a place. But he sends a Muslim family that we're friends with and have been witnessing to. And they say, we know the place. Come, we'll show you. And they take us to where we are now. Fifteen days later, we were in it. And in the process, I step down a step and fall and break my left ankle. And everybody says to me, Pastor, you've got to go to the hospital. I mean, it's swelling up. It's huge. It's black and blue. It's sore. I can't step on it. I mean, I'm in agony. Everybody's saying... (laughs) get to the doctor, go to the hospital. And I'm saying, are you kidding? A doctor didn't get me this house. A doctor didn't provide for me all that I have. I'm going to ask Jesus. And Jesus said to me, go sit in the prayer room and put your leg up and I'll heal it. So I sat in that prayer closet with my leg up, week after week after week, reading the scripture, praying, waiting on God's word to be fulfilled to me. Jan's sister knows a doctor that's very good friends with us. And so from Florida, she gets her friends to all call the doctor to say, Pastor Ray's broken his ankle and he's too stubborn to come see you. Would you call him? So the doctor calls me and says, Ray, do I need to make a house visit? And I say, no, I already had a house visit. I used another doctor, Dave. Dave says, what? What doctor did you use? Dr. Jesus. (laughs) Come on, Ray. I mean, he's a man I've known for 35 years. He's given me free medical care for 35 years. There's anything he wouldn't do for me. Would I run to him? Absolutely not. He didn't give me the house I live in. He didn't give me the wife I have. He didn't give me the health I walk in. Jesus did. What I'm trying to say to you tonight is this, this story of these five wise virgins had built into their heart a strength, a trust in Jesus Christ. There was no wavering in their mind or their heart. They knew that what he said was true and they were going to trust him. The five foolish had never tested God's word and they'd never made preparation for times coming difficult. And so when they had to go by there was nobody to sell. And it says they got there too late and the door was closed. The door was closed. So there are some who are going to come to a point in their life where they say, "Okay, now I want to trust Jesus. And Jesus is going to say it's too late. It's too late because... You've never built into your heart that complete resolve that you would trust in the name of Jesus no matter what. You would trust him for the friends you have. You would trust him for the money you make. You would trust him for where you go and what you say and where you you think you would like to rest. You trust him for what you look at, you trust him for every circumstance of your life and you have walked in such closeness with Jesus and trusting in him in every step of that journey that when something hard comes, you automatically just lift your hands up to Jesus because he's the one you've always lifted your hands up to. And now you have faith that works by love because you know the lover of your soul will never let you down, but he'll carry you through. Now the last part of this story is the most tragic part. Verse 11. Later, the others also came, sir, sir. I mean, they're coming now with real respect. Does it remind you of another story in the scripture? Esau came to his father and said, bless me, bless me. And when his father said, I've already blessed your brother. Well, didn't you save a blessing for me? Yes, you're going to live in the driest parts of the desert. The sword will never depart from you. You're not going to have fine wine. You'll always be short of grain. He begins to weep and say, bless me, bless me, bless me. And there's no blessing for him. What I want you to catch is this timeline. He says, today is the day of salvation. But it will not always be today. It will come to a point in time where the test will be so great on your heart that you will be blown away from Jesus Christ and you will join the unbelievers because the test is so harsh and so hard and you have no resolve in your heart, you have no strength in your heart, you've never used the muscular ability to put your trust in Jesus. You've always turned to something else and somebody else and those things now fail you and Jesus tells us in this parable that the bridegroom said in verse 12, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. These are people who had a flame of religiosity. These were people who showed up in church. They didn't go out and party, and party while the bridegroom was coming. They were out sacrificing their time and their energy to be in the place appointed with a lamp waiting for the bridegroom to come. But when the circumstances created such a barrier, they had to admit they had no oil, they had no faith, and they had no love for Jesus. because they had never settled in their heart the foundation of absolute trust in the name of the Lord. You see, when I begin to take a position that says, Jesus, I'm going to wait before you for your word regarding what you want me to do, And that word finally comes and I say, "Okay, I'm going to do what Jesus has said to do, even though it seems utterly foolish. As when I broke my ankle, I should have gone to a doctor and had it set. I should have had a cast on it. That was the way I should have done it. But I didn't because I was putting my trust in Jesus. Now, do you think that Jesus could turn away from one of his children who is saying, my ankle is broken and I'm waiting on you, Jesus? You've told me to sit in this prayer closet and wait upon you. I'm going to wait upon you. Do you think he would not know my heart? Could you imagine that he would have that little love For one of his children, if he even knows when the sparrow falls to the ground, do you think Jesus wouldn't know me as I sit before him and wait upon him and and I'm weeping because this thing is so sore and it hurts so much and I'm saying, Jesus, I won't even take an aspirin for this thing because I'm trusting in you and my pain will drive me to you. Do you think he didn't know my heart? It would have been impossible for Jesus to say to me, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. He knew me because I was waiting on him. I was trusting him. He could not turn aside from me because my confidence was in him. My resolve was in him. I wasn't going to be moved. And all those times with finances and all those times with the church being moved here and there and all the times when when people have gotten angry at the straight word and they've left and they've said, I'm not coming back. And, And I've gone into my prayer closet and I've wept before the Lord and I've laid on my face and I've said, oh God, I'm sorry, I must not have been a... An adequate pastor, I didn't meet their heart's cry. God, forgive me. Do you think he could not know my heart? You can't deal with the God of heaven in this manner and not have him know your heart. But if you have a problem, come and you say, okay, I can take care of that over here. I've got a problem. I can fix it with some overtime. I've got a problem here. I can handle that with a bank note. Or I need a car. I can schmooze somebody. Then the Lord doesn't know me. I never went to him. I never cried out to him. I never waited on him. I never trusted him. And so when that circumstance comes into my life where the bridegroom has waited and it's in the depths of the night and I'm all out of all confidence and I'm I'm empty. The Lord's gonna say, I don't even know you. The door's shut, it's too late. You can't come in here. This is only for those who I know. These are for those who have put their trust in me. The party is for those who celebrate my love and my goodness. Are you a wise virgin tonight or are you a foolish virgin? Does God know you or doesn't He know you? Have you been exercising faith based on love? Do you have a track record of putting your trust in God and doing whatever he asks you to do, no matter what the cost? Or are you still walking in arrogance and pride before the almighty God, lifting up your fist against heaven, pretending that you're the person and you can handle it and just give me some space and let me earn my way? Oh, brother, sister. If that's how you're functioning with God, the deadline will come. And he will say to you, "I don't even know who you are, and you're shut out of the kingdom of heaven." I can't think of anything more tragic than to have gone to church, to sacrificed time and energy, to have made a, a public demonstration that I'll be a Christian. And then be utterly devoid in your heart of any foundation of trust in the name of Jesus. So that Jesus says, I don't even know you. Where are you tonight? Are any of you here tonight foolish virgins? And tonight you want to buy the oil of faith and love. And you want to begin to walk in a manner that's going to cause the Lord to say, I know you. You're my beloved. Lord, plant that foundation tonight in our hearts. Plant that foundation do that work in our hearts tonight that we would know that the name of Jesus is above all names. That, Lord God, I will no longer in any manner try to figure out my own course of action, but I will trust in the name of the Lord of hosts. Thank you, Lord. I praise you, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. When
1: we walk.
0: you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress is brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel, and we'd love to hear from you. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, PO Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195.
2: Also, visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you.